Bruce and the Ottawa Senators collide, and already a change in the lineup. Matt Murray was scheduled to start tonight, took the warm-up. Ilya Samsonov is getting the start. Shot from the point. Scores! It's a tip from Tachuk in front of the net. Centering pass in front. They score! And Willie Nylander was right there for the Tiger Woods gimme. What's a Tiger Woods gimme? Anything within 15 feet of the net. <laughs> to the slot for Batherson who scores brought in by Giroux Giroux in and scores and that will send a lot of folk to the exits here on a Friday night the Leafs turn in a bit of a stinker here the Ottawa Senators take a 6-2 decision over the Maple Leafs I'm not sure what the f*** this is I'm about to find out this is Talkin' Audio What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside episode 1061 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. Coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Matt Robinson with Graham Nichols alongside. How's it going today, man? It's going well. How are you? Glad you finally made it in. I could not show. <laughs> after uh, after chirping Matt Marie on Twitter last night uh, in regards to her appearance and pulling the shoot uh, <laughs> i kind of had to show up regardless of the uh, regardless of the weather yeah well mother nature isn't making it easy on us and we've tried to do this a couple times before but uh you know people get sick over the course of the pandemic and you know just weather everything going on so i'm glad you finally made it in here no oh, happy to be in here it's a nice little setup you got going on here appreciate that appreciate that uh we're on social media at tall can audio you can give us a follow there we're also on uh, all your favorite podcast apps Again, under Tall Can Audio, wherever you're hearing us right now, go ahead, hit follow, hit subscribe, whatever it looks like on your app there, hit it, and uh, we'll keep the good stuff coming for you. Uh, Graham is on Twitter, at Graham Nichols, G-R-A-E-M-E-N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Uh, retired the uh, the Sixth Sense handle for now, is that? Uh, yeah. 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 Just something different, just changing up a little? Yeah, just... Got away from that site, right? So yeah, right, right, what's right. the what's the point of hanging out in the past, right? Uh, Just move forward. I guess at so. least it was least, a cool handle. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It was uh less for me to spell out anyway. <laughs> no, <you're... laughs> for sure. But then, but then you do some appearances and stuff and people stumble over six cents, six cents. It is, it's hard to I I'm I am one of those guys as well. That, yeah, that so it's a little bit easier with my name, but then everybody has problems spelling my name from time to time. So it's <laughs> You got a, a substack, nickels.substack.com. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, gnickels.substack.com. Yeah. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll make day. sure all yeah. that's in the uh, show notes, wherever people are hearing it right now. You can uh, check that out, Roman, a day. And uh, you were good enough to uh, to provide the beers today, man. Yes, sir. What yes, are we sir. going with to start? Uh, so I picked up uh, from Wood Brothers. I've talked about it before on your shows previously. It's a little uh, small batch brewery out of, I think it's east of Van Cleek Hill. I've never been there. Okay. Uh, but the Cheshire Cat and Carp always carries the cans in their... Uh, fridges if like a few beer fridges at the front of their uh, restaurant so nice they always carry supply there it's really uh it's pretty expensive stuff to buy like four cans cost 40 bucks holy shit um but it's really really good and uh if you have a chance i think uh bar Lupulis actually in hittenberg westboro area also carries it on tap from time to time right but i think it's uh it's pretty hard to find but it's really it good. is i've never tried any of this um bunda's talked about it before when he's been in here uh, Creech references. I think Creech maybe is out in your neck of the woods, closer to the cat. He's uh, he's in Richmond. Okay, so he's a little well. I guess like West End ish. Yeah, more south. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. It's really good. I enjoy it. So I brought a couple cans and give you the opportunity to have some. Hopefully you'll like it. And if you don't, yeah, it's my bad. Sorry, man. <laughs> 
I rarely have uh, an objection to, to free beer. <laughs> is it cold? Beer, right? Is it cold? Is it wet? Then yeah, I'll enjoy it. Right. So what are we starting with here? You uh, you picked these out. Yeah. So two of the cans are the same, and then yours is different from mine right now. So mine's a mostly harmless pale ale. That's five and a half percent. Okay. There's no details on the can in terms of like flavoring or hops or. Yeah, I think this one over here is a six point two. I think we said. Uh, yeah, percent. So we'll see what that's all about. And I guess like they're only open like one day a week. Yeah, there's some there's some detail like that. So the owner of the cat once told me um, they do small batch stuff. They they open the brewery a couple of days on the weekend, and and most of the time I believe they sell out cans. And I think there's people who travel like long distances yeah. to buy like flats of beer from them. Uh, well, I think that's what Bunda was telling me too. So like you, you you got to be there and in line and yeah, and like it's a thing. Yeah. If you're if you don't make it, it's uh, they only run a certain amount each week. And beer snobs love it. So yeah, no. hopefully uh, hopefully it's good. I'm not. I haven't driven all the way there. It's easier just to drive ten minutes to the cat. To sure, myself, but yeah. which has got its own legendary status in the area. I've never been into the cat even. So anytime you want to go, let me know. All right, there's an invitation. There's I the can open get invite for sure. Um, What's uh, what's coming up? Anything you want to pimp on uh, on Roman a day in the next year, little while? Or? Oh, we got the trade deadline coming up, so I'm sure that there's going to be analysis. There's probably lots of senators' news coming down the pipeline in regards to that, in terms oh, of what their nice. direction is going to be. Um, we also have the ownership uh, prospect of ownership change uh, coming down the pipeline too. So that's just all stuff I'm going to be covering. It's more. It's more analysis of what's been going on or what's rumored and, and just kind of digging into the news and kind of dissecting a little bit more in detail. That's kind of what I've always done. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if there's potential trade targets who are available or if there's stuff coming down the pipeline uh, ahead that I can dig into a little bit, I'll be doing a bit of that. So right keep on. an eye out for that stuff. I'll let the good listener know that later on this week, uh, Rob will be back on uh, on Wednesday morning. So he'll, uh, I'm sure, have plenty to say as well about... Uh, the beating the Sens just laid on the Leafs and the Habs here over the course of the weekend. And on Thursday morning, Josh O'Connor from, uh, he's the guy who's been putting together the uh, Behind the R series for the Ottawa Red Blacks. And uh, season two is out now, episode two is out as well. Um, very cool, the job that he's done. And it, it man, looks every bit the, the hard knocks or the uh, HBO 24-7s. Right? He's doing a great job on these. So thought we would have him in and uh, and see what's, what's gone into putting this series together on a, on a CFL level, right? We don't normally get that kind of access uh, around the CFL. So that'll be Josh O'Connor on, uh, on Thursday morning. So like I said, make sure you're subscribed to the pod wherever you're hearing us right now. Look, uh, there was an event over the course of the weekend that people would like to hear us discuss. I'm not as excited to talk about it as you are, I'm sure. And, uh, so let's just get right into it. Um, Watch the Royal Rumble Saturday night? <laughs> no, no. No, I did not. It was not? Okay, okay. <laughs> I imagine if you took a poll around the league, players would say, put Michael Bunting, Brad Marchand, both Kachucks into a cage match. Ooh. One guy comes out. WWE. Yeah. Would there be a ladder? <laughs> like, an, and a table too, right? Because you got to oh, be yeah. a, And a chair. A well, folding chair. Like that. George the Animal Steel used to have. Uh, the Royal Rumble, of course, Saturday night. We're not going to get into that. But uh, Friday night, Sens beat down the Leafs 6-2 in a fairly non-competitive matchup. Uh, Matt Murray, as you referenced off the top, decided, I guess, you know, shot off the collarbone, whatever it was, and warm up. But they said the next day that it's an ankle thing. I have no idea. Um, Tomorrow it could be a heart. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
See, I would have some sympathy if he was having heart problems. That seems serious, right? No, but that was a joke. That's yeah, just... no, of course. He's, he's a little level of desire, maybe, or a little lack of. Look, we can talk about Matt Murray in a little bit, but what did you make of the game on uh, on Friday night? It's The Sens have had a rough season. I'm sure that was a high point. Anytime you can take back-to-back games against Montreal and Toronto in a weekend, it's that's a, that's a high point, regardless of how your season's going or, or what's going on. But I mean, like from the Leafs' perspective, does it does the regular season even matter to you guys? Like, it, like are you guys hanging on the results of every regular season game? Because I think you guys are at a stage in your franchise's development where you're just kind of waiting for the postseason to start, and then that's, when do we that's, get to the stage of our development where we can beat? Arizona and Montreal and Ottawa because that would be cool if we could get to that yeah, stage. But that's hockey too, right? You look sure. like Boston. Boston's having a season for the ages, like yeah. arguably the best team in the league, uh, one of the best seasons ever, uh, just from a win loss perspective. And they've lost Ottawa twice, right? You know, like it's it's hockey. The the parity in this league is a lot closer than than people like to accept, and uh, stinkers happen from time to time. And um, I'm not trying to defend Toronto, no, no. but I mean, like Toronto still generated. I, I I was looking at the numbers today because, like, yeah, like on paper, it's like Ottawa won six to two. It seemed like Ottawa scored on pretty much all their big chances, yeah. though, right? Like they just found the back of the net, and they had some beautiful goals. The Claude Giroux goal in the uh, third period to kind of seal it. That was nasty. Uh, was unbelievable. Um, Brady Brady Kachuk had a phenomenal game, um, and I. Every time you talk about Brady Kachuk, it's just I really want to see that guy in the postseason. He does feel like that type of player, right? Who would really excel in that environment? Yeah, uh, he's just one of those guys that goes to the dirty areas, and that's where he thrives. Yeah. And you know, in in Ottawa's past, I think they were hard done by, especially in the early two thousands. They were hard done by, like they had a lot of skill and talent. They just didn't have the guys who would go to the dirty areas to score. And if if you play too much on the perimeter, it would hurt you. It's funny, and as a Leaf fan, to. <laughs> used to roll through those series with Tucker and Roberts and Corson. And, and now, you're, and now, now we're now the ones living, getting, you're living yeah, it on getting the other roughed end, up so. all over the place. <laughs> no, no sympathy for me, but, um, like Toronto had shot Ottawa, I think like 60% to 40, like at even strength. Yeah. So, uh, like Toronto had chances. They just couldn't beat, uh, they couldn't beat Forsberg and, and Ottawa was beating Samsonov and you had the Matt Murray kind of angle, uh, playing in the background and, and sense fans were lapping it up and deservedly so it's, sure. it's one of those rare times this year where, you could feel awesome about uh, the events as they unfolded. It was fantastic. It's too bad Matthews wasn't playing from that perspective. So, you know, Toronto didn't have that argument saying, hey, our best player is sitting on the sidelines. But uh, a win is a win is a win. We'll take it. Yeah, and it's one of those things, right? Like Toronto had enough talent in that game to be able to put up a better fight than they did. And and they, you know, it was a bit of a stinker, but Ottawa was full value. Like um, like I said, Rob's out of town. He's a big Sens guy. And he texted me afterwards. He's like, I didn't see a second of it. it. Was one of those ones where Ottawa was like, "Start the car. Let's get the hell out of here because we stole this one." And it's no, not really, right? Like it didn't feel like Ottawa was just lucky in any way. Like they, yeah, maybe at certain stretches were outplayed, and the shots don't always tell the story. I thought Ottawa looked pretty solid for what was going on, and some of that would have been the way Toronto was performing. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel like I, as a Leaf fan, I didn't walk away from that going, "We deserved better." I we didn't. No, no, no. no. Uh, that's one of the ones where you can just uh, bury it. Flush if, it. If you're Toronto, just flush it and go to the next one. But uh, from Ottawa's case, I mean, you, they they promoted Ridley uh, Greg yeah. this week against the Islanders. And ever since he's come in, he's kind of been like a little bit of a spark plug. And uh, and not I, like in a minor role. They got him right up on the second line. And no, he's insulated very well, right? Yeah. They got him playing with Debrinkat and Giroux. But I think, you know, like I think when when a team loses as much as Ottawa has over the first half of the season like even even if they've got like hard working players and i think 
you know, to their credit, I think most of Ottawa's players do work hard. Do they work smart? No, not all the time. <laughs> I think that's where the problems lie. Yeah. Um, but to see Greg come in and kind of provide that spark. And I, I tweeted this last night when uh, Montreal was playing Ottawa. Uh, just the attention to detail, the work ethic down low in the defensive end. Like mm. there's a bit more spark uh, and work ethic and and drive to uh, recover pucks and, and just battle hard right. and provide coverage. Like the coverage wasn't lax. Like he was sticking to his man throughout the zone. And it was just kind of refreshing to see because I think at times that's where Ottawa is kind of falling by the wayside is like guys get lost in coverage as, as good teams like uh, Toronto and Boston. Um, they generate speed. Uh, they rotate quickly and it's easy to lose guys in coverage. But like that wasn't happening the last two games. It, they looked a lot better. And I, I don't I don't want to credit Greg specifically for it, but I think he's kind of demonstrating that work ethic and, and drive that can hopefully be contagious and have his teammates feed off that a little bit. It's a bit of a refresher for them as well. And uh, if that carries over, I think it will be a great story to watch in the second half of the season. Well, as we sort of move into a more general discussion about the Senators, at the they're into their all-star break now, right? The bye week, and then the they're off for a week or so now. They play Montreal on Tuesday. Oh, okay. I thought... Uh, but that's the, uh, that's the last one before. Okay. As, you know, we kind of get into that and, and look at... I wonder if that it would be reading too much into it to think that that's Ridley Gregg coming from a better structure better coaching and having those good habits and then arriving to a place that Sens fans have been watching all season um, and not been happy with the coaching and, and wondering what the system is in the defensive zone. And, you know, is there any line to be drawn between maybe he's just come from a more structured place and knows exactly what he should be doing at what point into a place that it's a little more chaotic or would that be too much? To- I, I, well, I think we've seen it before in Ottawa. I think like even if you go back to the uh, the years where Ottawa was losing like Danny Heatley and, and some of those names and Mike Fisher, they were trading guys at the deadline mm-hmm. and uh, they brought in guys like Eric Condor, Colin Greening, not like sexy names or, or big name players by any stretch of the imagination, but like hardworking guys who would uh, provide like a little bit of a jump and a refresher and they're they're too young to know better. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's just, you get rid of some of that systemic losing bring, brings about complacency and it brings about bad habits and it, it just to change that culture and to change the dynamic a little bit and uh, if the hardworking efforts just rub off a little bit and positively influence their teammates and say, oh, look what he's doing. Right. Okay, let's do it and it's working. Um, they can buy in and, and I, I think really Greg's just one of those guys in the trenches who can drag guys with him. Um, I think Brady Kitchuk's got that to a certain extent, but I think like watching Greg play a center position like he was last night and, uh, the night before mm-hmm. against Toronto, it's, it's, it's refreshing and encouraging to see. And, um, hopefully it, it continues over the next stretch. I think often about when people talk about systemic losing and getting used to losing, I think a lot about Thomas Caberlet who, you know, kind of came around towards the end of the Leafs' last half-decent stretch there, you know, 99 to, to 04, whatever it would have been. And they were okay. Like, there were a couple conference final runs in there, and he was around for much of that. And then he was a part of the darkest days after the lockout, all the way up to 2011. And he gets traded to the Bruins. And there are times when he is barely playing for the Bruins. And at his best, Thomas Caberlet was a good NHL defenseman. But it was so obvious by the end of his time in Toronto that he was just, doesn't matter, right? We're terrible. I do what I got to do to to finish out the game or to get paid. And by the time he got to a place where they were gearing up to take a championship run, he was barely a part of it. He could not keep up with with those guys. And you would think Thomas Caberlet at his best 
is not a risk of being healthy scratched on that Bruins team, but he was by the time he got there. It's a real thing that you can get used to losing and, and get comfortable with it. And that's what people have been talking about for the past couple of weeks with Tom Shabbat, right? And it, I think he's still been a very impactful offensive player in terms of like uh, pushing the puck, uh, moving the needle offensively, especially five on five. Like the centers are generating chances and shots whenever he's on the ice. But mm-hmm. in, in terms of what he's giving up on the defensive side of the puck, I think it's like this is one of his worst defensive seasons as a senator. Right. And, you know, they, like – when you endure losing and and ineffective defensive partners as much as he has over the years, it, it you wonder kind of not that it's adversely affected his development per se because I still think he's a very good player. Sure, it's just is he developing bad habits? Is he just like could he should he be better than he is defensively at this stage of his career? Is it coaching? Is it personnel? Like what? How do you get more out of this player that they're obviously committed to uh, in terms of his long term deal and the amount of money that they're paying him down the stretch? Like they need him to be a very good two way defenseman, right? Uh, and and this year he's been a good offensive defenseman in terms of what he's able to generate in terms of offensive production and, and shots. But um, on the defensive side of the puck, he leaves you wanting more at times. And for a guy commanding his money, you need him to be better defensively than he's shown at this point. People have been calling for DJ Smith's head for a while, sometimes reasonably, sometimes not. Uh, You know, you could make the argument that there were certainly times that he wasn't given the best roster and then that roster had injuries. There's been injuries this year as well. Um, But I think a lot of people obviously came into this season with much higher expectations for this team, given the offseason that they had. I wonder what you think about, obviously, I think when it's time for this team to contend, there will be someone else behind the bench. Would you do it now and let that person start to try and communicate with the new players or whatever? Or would you, at this point, consider this season lost, ride it out, and do it in the offseason when, in theory, there will be more names available, a lot of people doing business at that point? Like, where do you go at this point? Is it? Is it I, think, I think if they were going to fire DJ Smith, it would have happened earlier. Yeah. Uh, when the games actually mattered, when they were closer to the uh, wild card hunt than they are. I think they're still, even with the weekend's wins against uh, Montreal Toronto, I, feel, I still think they're 10 points out, yeah, I believe. That's right. Um, so I, I think that move was going to be made. It would have happened earlier. And I think Ottawa's in a difficult position right now because they're awaiting an ownership change. Yeah. And because they're awaiting an ownership change, I don't believe they're allowed to take on more money or sign like future deals that can impact the bottom line. Yeah, be paying uh, this coach and paying another coach. In saying that, I thought if there was going to be a change, it'd be Troy Mann coming in to take over, uh, call him up from Belleville, mm-hmm. uh, let him have the reins because he is under contract and it's not a That's huge, true, yeah. it's not a huge leap of faith to say, okay, we're just going to pay you a little bit more to kind of oversee this. And, um, maybe there's a clause in his contract saying if he does take over, this is what he's guaranteed to earn. Right. So I thought that would be the natural fit, especially because like long term or just to finish this year, just to finish the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you know, once the ownership comes new ownership comes in, I don't think there's any promises one way or another. I think, I no. think everybody who's entrenched right now is a lame duck. Yeah. You know, like Dorian's been here, uh, since 2016, I believe he took over from Brian Murray in the uh, summertime and uh you know he's had his run uh his track record speaks for itself even though it was a committed rebuild um his, sure. his record speaks for itself i think dj smith's record speaks for itself uh i think dj smith was a good coach to bring in uh for a young inexperienced roster because he was a player's coach uh he was someone who related really well with the young guys he seems like a likable guy mm-hmm. uh in terms of x's and o's to get this team moving to the next direction um that's where the scrutiny comes. I think sure. that's where that's where he's feeling it a little bit. Like, is this 
is this group as it's currently structured? Are they developing? I think individually, I, I, I've seen some growth in guys like Stutzlo, Kachuk. Um, but how much of that do you attribute to the coaching staff? Or how much ask you? you so those guys are natural. Talents. Those are those are top five talents yeah. who are supposed to get better every year. Yeah, you know, and and they keep changing the cast of characters around them, and it hasn't been in, to any positive effect. I think you know, you bring in Debrinkat, you bring in Drew. All of a sudden, you think, oh wow, that's that's an impressive top six that Otto's collected. But mm-hmm. what do you? How do you get the most out of that? I think that's been where the struggle is. They they've had a difficult time getting more out of those guys, and you know Ottawa's shooting percentage has been terrible. So why is their finishing so low? Is it is it a personnel issue? Is it a luck driven issue where they're just they're generating chances, or is it mostly these shots are coming from the perimeter at five on five, and they're just not scoring because they're coming from further out? Like yeah, and it's probably some combination of all those factors, sure. right? It's not it's not to hang it out on any one person individually, but. Um, it's it's been a frustrating year, and I, and I think, you know, if you're talking about structure, and one of the things I've noticed over the course of the season is that when things are going poorly in Ottawa, it, it just looks disjointed. Um, the structure just isn't there. They don't know what to do defensively, what? especially like they don't. It looks like they don't know where to go. Where like it just looks like there's no urgency. Yeah, it, it, yeah. there's a lot of puck watching. Um, you know, like Drake Batherson in particular. There's just a lot of puck watching. Yeah, and you, you don't have to be you don't have to be a physical imposing player to be hard to play against right you know if the, if if your pursuit of the puck is dogged you're supporting the puck along the wall you're helping teammates uh down low to retrieve pucks and, and get them out and transitioning the puck from defense to offense like that that to me is hard to play against you know it, sure. it's 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 a totally different version but i think when people hear hard to play against they think of oh physically imposing yeah. Yeah. you know hard along the boards hits, all lots of hits stuff. dump yeah. and chase yeah. and it's it's that's that's Nick sure Nick like that can that can, that can be an right. element but i mean it also has to fit your team's dynamic right it's you can't just dump become a dump and chase team and immediately be hard to play against that doesn't make you a hard to play against team it's no. just it depends on the personnel depends on their styles and and everything else but i think with ottawa it's like as soon as a puck gets turned over in the defensive zone wingers are breaking the zone <laughs> flying the zone looking to like generate offense it's like well that's that that can happen that can be good but yep. at the same time like you have to play responsibly within your own end and and let defense tr- translate to offense first and it's not necessarily happening all the time and it's 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 a bit discouraging especially because dj smith's been here for a long time so i mean if, if you're going to see those changes happen they should have happened by now do you think it's actively negligent or damaging the roster right now to have not done something like you, I mean, go another we, couple months before the season's over. Right? I, you can go back to the off season. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna go all out and acquire Alex DeBrincat, like I, I think Claude Giroux, uh, in particular, he just wanted to come home. I don't think it matters who the GM was, who the coach was, or anything. He's I, a guy who I've wanted, had this argument on the show before. He did wanted, he choose the Senators or did he choose Ottawa? He chose those Ottawa. Are, that's right. That's what I. He think chose as Ottawa. Well. Yeah, and, and that's fine. I, and if you talk to other people as well, I think that's the same sentiment. Yeah, he, like he wanted to be close to home, close to family. He lives here in the office. That's right. Like he lives here year round, yeah. uh, or in the off season when he was playing elsewhere. But he wanted to return and play here specifically. Yeah, and I don't think that's a team thing. I don't think that's a Pierre Dorian thing. I don't think that's a DJ he Smith thing. He home. just wanted yeah. to come home. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. Uh, when the team goes out and they trade for Alex DeBrincat, it's like, okay, that that's a commitment. You've traded a top 10 pick, a second round pick, and a third round pick yes. to bring in a very good goal scorer. A legit, yeah. Uh, multi 40, 40 goal scorer um, who probably could have had more than two seasons as a 40 goal scorer if he played uh, more games in those right, uh, yeah. shortened seasons. Yeah. Um, but that's a commitment. And you're bringing that guy in on a one year 
deal before he hits RFA status mm-hmm. in the summer. And that's a commitment to that player to bring him in for the year. No, no promises. You have no idea if he's going to resign or extend or whatever. And in your head, when you acquire a player like that with his contract, you have a year to convince this guy to stay. Yeah. And you don't address the blue line. Yeah. Like you do what not address the blue line. It's hard to enticing. You you roll back. Like I think the world of Jake Sanderson. He's a fantastic player. Yeah. But your your second line is Jake's. Your second pairing story is Jake Sanderson and Travis Hamannick. Yeah. And Travis Hamannick, by the eye test, by the analytics test, whatever you want to speak, terrible defenseman yes. in, in the modern NHL. Yeah. Terrible defenseman in the NHL. Modern NHL. That's your second pairing. So you're insulating. Jake Sanderson's had a really good year. He's and excelling he, and, in spite and, of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you, you think about it, you're like, man, how good could that kid? How good could that kid be with a, a prominent NHL player on his, on his flank? And um, it just hasn't happened. And the third pairing, I think, like Eric Branstrom and Nick Holden, have actually been decent this year, right? But they've been lacking that second pairing guy who can play big minutes. And Artem Zub's injuries have hurt as sure. well. Yeah. Um, he's missed quite a chunk of the season. So that that's hurt, but to enter the season with Hamannick playing top top four minutes is just it's it's negligent. And after giving up assets to get him, and you're giving well, you're giving up all these assets <laughs> to get Alex to out and you're chasing a playoff spot, but you don't fix your blue line, right? Like that's to, like in, in fairness to Dorian, I'm sure he tried to. By all it. accounts, he was uh, working uh, hard I, to do it, but, but I, and yeah. he's still trying now yeah, uh, yeah. apparently. But it's like if you're willing to if you're willing to break the bank on the out, you might as well go all in and get a defenseman as well, right? Because this yeah, if we're doing your, this, let's do this. Like, because what's the alternative? You're trading to break out at the end of the year, right? Which is like, and then it raises the question: Well, like, why did you acquire him in the first place yeah. if you're just going to turn around and flip him at the end of the year? Well, and like, he's here, as you've said, you've you've got a year to impress him. I can't imagine he's that impressed right now, right? Like, well, who no, knows? Who knows what his motivations are? Because and he may be very happy with the teammates. Like, he might have blended in really well with the group. He might like the city. All these sorts of things. And ultimately, money will talk. If Ottawa's prepared to pay him top dollar, he'll yeah. he'll likely say. But if you were trying to sell him this year, you've missed the mark there. Uh, from a competitive yeah. perspective, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's saying that you know, like maybe he does resign. Maybe new ownership comes in, and and he's a guy who, admittedly, uh, you know, he doesn't go out that often. He's got a young family. He's got a kid at home, wife, happily married. Right. Uh, wants to bring his family up and and a nice community and stuff. And I think if you're if you're a Senators fan, you have to be looking at the city of Ottawa saying, okay, this checks a lot of boxes. Sure. Like quiet city. They treat players really well. Like fans treat players incredibly well here. Yeah. Um, Craig Anderson's even talked about that. Like after, like, I don't know if you watched that Elliot Friedman interview or I'm pretty sure it was Elliot Friedman where he talked about Ottawa being like an under the radar, like awesome place to play. I didn't see that, but I've heard that about Columbus too, right? Like, Oh, for sure. Columbus is kind of a cool city. Like, like I've had the opportunity to go there. Fun and place to live. Nice you know place yep. to raise a family these yep. sorts of things. everybody has their own considerations no exactly yeah. it depends on where you are and what stage of your career you're yep. at and what your own personal motivations are but i think uh, like ottawa has a lot of things going for it it's just uh, can you convince the brink to stay here based off this year and that's that's the risk and but that was the window that the senators gave themselves and i think it, it, to not bring in a defenseman to put your best foot forward uh in terms of you know your your level of compete on the ice i think that's that's just pure negligence yeah and i uh, it comes back to, well, what's the price that you're willing to pay? But I think, you know, um, the name we heard in the offseason, all offseason was, was Jake Chikrin. It's yep. like, okay, well, you're big game hunting at this point. Yep. He's not even a right defenseman. No. So, like, why don't you just target a lesser defenseman who's better than Travis Hamannick? 
Like it's not hard. That guy's out there. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's not that difficult no. to find one. And even if it is a rental, like I, I wrote a piece in the off season saying, hey, you know, if it's not Shikrin, here's the guys to consider who are our, like impending UFAs who could probably be had relatively cheaply who are better than Hamadik. Yeah. You know, just look for look for those like modest aggregate gains, right? Sure. Just trade your trade yeah, your lesser players and get gains. Be a home run. Just no. keep just keep inching ahead, right? No, just exactly. Keep, yeah. So, uh, what would you? Are your feelings on Debrinket different than they were before Ottawa acquired him? Having seen him now play half a season, um, his numbers are are down, but. Point of game, like uh, I know his goals are down, yeah. but I mean, you also think, okay, he's he's almost got twenty goals, you know, yeah. he's almost got twenty goals, or he's on a thirty point pace for like half the season up until this latest cold spell, but it, he was on pace for thirty goals. Yep, you know, if, what, if he got what would hot. you pay that guy long term? Well, that's the problem because his his qualifying offer has to be nine. It has to million. be nine, but that doesn't lock. mean that doesn't mean his extension. Right, you can lock him up to something. You can else. lock him in, yeah. and maybe that works to Ottawa's benefit. Maybe they say, well, we'll give you seven by seven, right? If you want to stay. Yeah. You know, like we can't pay you more than Brady. We can't pay you more than Tim. You know, you can turn yeah. around and say that, and you didn't have produced them. So, oh, you obviously have See, leverage. I've been thinking that obviously you have leverage because of your contract situation, but because Caulfield's contract talks have started to linger in, right? He's going to need a new deal here coming up this summer, and right now I think the Habs ceiling, and they've called it that, is seven seven point eight. I think is what Nick Suzuki's making. I can tell you that is not going to be your ceiling for long, right? Like, I understand why teams try and do that. Like, oh, oh you're sure. not going to make more than Bergeron, or oh, you're not going to make more. Yeah, at some point, someone is, right? So I, sure. I don't, I don't know whether to bring it. What is, uh, what's Brady's annual cap hit? Oh, it's like eight point yeah. two. I think Timmy's like eight point three or five or so something I, like that. I'm not necessarily saying you have to give. To bring it more than that, but he's going to be shrewd enough to know the cap's about to start going up. You need people to stay here and, and help put up, you know, increase scoring things like that. I and that's the problem with Ottawa, right? They yeah. don't have. If you trade to Brinkett, and you know, I, I've seen pundits post that like, oh, we should trade him for a defenseman, which is like, okay, we definitely need another defenseman. That's sure. that's obviously but now you're going to have to go. Find a score. But now you're <laughs> trading a thirty thirty to forty goal score yep. um, under when is you know if his shooting percentage regresses to like career norms, mm-hmm. he's someone who should score thirty to forty goals. Right. And as this team improves, especially on the back end, if all of a sudden Ottawa is transitioning the puck more quickly, not spending uh, as much time in their own defensive end, mm-hmm. then yeah, theoretically, like, everybody's offensive numbers should go up substantially. Like I'd be shocked if he took anything that started with a seven, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I think if you came in around eight, like eight yeah. by eight or yeah. seven by eight or, or whatever, it could, it could definitely work. But I just think you're going to have a hard time replacing that because Ottawa's internal situation in terms of prospects is they don't have anyone who can step up and replace them. Right. True enough. Uh, as we sit here today and actually it's kind of a wacky NHL schedule today. Um, the Leafs are about to play the Capitals. That'll be John Tavares's 1000th career game. And I don't really understand what the league was thinking here. We have uh, two NFL playoff games today. One starts at 3, one starts at 6.30. Uh, the NHL has two games today. They both start at 5 o'clock right in the middle of... Uh, either go at 8, go at 1, do something. <laughs> don't be right in the middle. Whatever. Uh, John Tavares, 1,000 career games, um, has outscored, as you would expect, from the number one overall pick in his uh, his draft year of 2009. Uh, more points than anybody else since then. Uh, Hedman 
was the guy who went second overall that year. You could make a case if you had the draft to do over again, you'd consider taking that guy ahead of John Tavares. He's got a couple of uh, Stanley Cup rings and a Conn Smythe that certainly put him in that conversation. Uh, I'm curious what you think of, of John Tavares after a thousand games in the NHL uh, came in as, you know, maybe more hype than anyone since Sidney Crosby a few years earlier, right? Having gotten exceptional status in the OHL. Uh, and has certainly had a very, very good career. Has it lived up in your mind to the hype that was around him coming into the league? Well, when you were started talking about a thousand games, I thought we were going to go in like a Derek Broussard direction here because he's like <laughs> 10 away. Um, <laughs> Why wouldn't we talk more about Derek Broussard? <laughs> but uh, yeah, John, uh, it, it, it's, it makes you feel old. Like oh that's, my that's my first, like, yep. that's my first thing. It's like John Tavares has played like, I'm thinking back to like, you know, the world junior team playing at the, uh, yeah, you know, like CTC. Well, they're now CTC. Yeah. Um, but it, well, I grew up in Oshawa. Scotiabank plays at the time. I can't even remember. Yeah, who it was. one of but the. Like, yeah. But I grew up in Oshawa, so I watched him as a yeah, in junior with the generals yeah. all the time. And at the time, even like you didn't think anything of it then. But I was drinking beers while he was playing junior hockey, <laughs> and so <laughs> he probably now was he, too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's got a thousand games behind him, and everyone's talking about how old he is at thirty-two. Like, is he over the hill? I'm like, oh god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a rough. But it's like he's point per game. He's not. He's not like the dynamic, sexy, fast player. Right. He's just solid, right? Yeah. He's just, you know, everything's one speed. He does everything. Doesn't do anything poorly. Over a thousand games, he's about forty points shy of being a point a game player. He's so, just a very vanilla player. That a very probably, vanilla personality. Like, yeah, uh, just. Yeah. But he's the captain. Yeah, yeah. and uh, well, some teams like that out of their captain, right? Just even sure. Like Patrick Marlowe was kind of like that to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's, it boggles my mind that uh, like a guy like that is like a thousand games in because you're just like, oh no, no way. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't feel like that long ago that he was in junior and and everything else, but. um, And on the island, maybe he felt like a slightly bigger deal because A, he was the number one center and when he came in, he was on a bad team and, and like he made very, very rich men of like your Matt Molsons and Kyle Oposos of the world, oh, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Um, it was kind of reminiscent of like Ottawa in the heyday, right? Like Yash and playing with like McKecker and Jackal. Sure. And, right. Um, yeah. It's just, he's, he played on some bad Islanders teams. And then as soon as they started to trend up, he bolted essentially, right? Like he Matt Barzal kind of. I would call it. He did not bolt. He can't, it's, a, it's all a matter of perspective. Well, no, it'd be like <laughs> in their development, like he endured so many bad yes. years on the island. And then, it, like, I don't blame him. Like, Toronto was on the upswing as well. So, yep. I mean, if you had the opportunity to go home and, and cash in, um, why not? And he did cash in. He signed a ridiculously expensive contract. But I mean, that's what it was going to take to lure him away from a comfortable situation on Long Island, right? Yep. So. I, I don't blame him for that, but I mean, I think the, the ill effects of that contract uh, affected future negotiations with Matt Marner and uh, Austin Matthews, which has complicated the Leafs cap scenario, right? Right. And so this is one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is we're sitting here, uh, he has currently played 330 games for the Leafs. He has 323 points. Uh, his best year in Toronto was the first year where he had 47 goals, which was a career high at the time, uh, 88 points that year. But he knew at the time, and he's acknowledged in several interviews, when I was coming to Toronto, it was going to be a different role, right? It was already, we're two years into the Austin Matthews era. It's clear uh, that's a special talent who's going to be the number one guy in Toronto moving forward. And I feel like at times Tavares has taken a little more shit than he's deserved, but it, it 
this is one of those things that happens in a cap league where we don't just evaluate based on the player anymore. We evaluate based on the number tied to them, which doesn't always happen in, in every sport. And it's fair. Um, but I wonder going into this, you know, the, it's the fact that I, I do agree with you that him coming in at 11 million and there were other teams offering more, uh, took less to come home, but not that much less, <laughs> but it became a magnet when it was time to negotiate with Matthews and Marner. They were like, well, I see we're paying, you know, we just talked about the Patrice Bergeron ceiling, right? Or the, the whatever that, yep. Yep. You set that ceiling pretty high for a new guy and Obviously, Matthews is, well, if I'm going to play ahead of him, I'm going to make more than him. And Marner had his own contentious negotiation. And under the old CBAs, like those RFAs, like, you know, once you finish your ELC, those RFAs would have next to no leverage, right? right? Like you're stuck with a team for, uh, I think it was like 11 years or something, yeah. right? Like you had to be 31 years of age before you're an unrestricted yeah. free agent. It was it was a mess. Um, so like those guys didn't have the leverage that they have now. Right. And, and uh, the Leafs, in, in a very leafy type thing to have happened, were on the front wave of that, these RFAs going, yeah, no, I'm not... A sign of we would see more of it. Rantanen would end up doing the oh, same, for sure. right? Like, but at the time we had seen, I think, like Stephen Stamkos took five million on his second deal, and you're like, well, could we not do that? Oh, even that? like, uh, even like Brad Marchand and Pasternak yep. in Boston, right? Like, they took sweetheart deals, right? And the, all this started to turn just as the Leafs needed it not to, and and then the cap freezes because of the pandemic, and that, that I think that's what they weren't expecting. Right? That's you, how do you, no how one do you, could expect that, right? How do you, how do you, you forecast that? It's it's hard when you look at Dubis because he was banking on the cap going up as it always had, and that was a reasonable enough thing to do, but it's not guaranteed to you, right? It was never promised, but certainly no one saw global pandemic closes Earth as something on the. Uh, you know, as a Leaf fan, maybe I should have seen that. As a, yeah, as a thing and, and you've seen some roster casualties because of it, right? Like yeah, you've seen uh, like Kadri. Kadri, I thought was an exceptional player for Toronto. Obviously, yeah. like he and gave issues. us something we didn't have a lot of. And he provided elements that they lacked yep. otherwise, right? Like he would go to the dirty areas. And still, now like, Hyman is having like a career year out in Edmonton. Yeah, but I mean, he's also playing with Connor McDavid. I right? agree. Like, I, I, like, but those are casualties that had the cap kept going up. Maybe you don't have Kadri probably had to go, but maybe you get to keep a Hyman. Or, no, but like Connor Brown could have stayed at the, yeah. at the cost that he did, right? right? But I mean, like that was the price of getting rid of Nikita Zaitsev's contract, and it's just so with it all weighed in, man. With it all factored in, if if Dubis had been able to see what was coming, which is obviously impossible and unfair to put on him, if he had been able to see the cap wasn't going to go up, you think he still signs Tavares? Um. How many years are left on his deal? Like three, two, three? Uh, two after this one. Two after this one. Um, he paid for he paid for his window, right? Like that's the part about the Toronto thing that's just like people have to keep in mind. It's like the, he paid for Tavares for a particular window, and he was going to live with the the yep. expensive costs. Like once that window had kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Toronto, like the hard part of it being the Atlantic Division is that you have Toronto, Boston, and Tampa. <laughs> Who are arguably like the three top teams in the Eastern? If the Conference. playoffs started to, today, Toronto's route out of the Eastern Conference as the number three seed would be to play the number five seed, then the number one seed, and then probably the number six. And uh, we yeah. could, we you could honestly have a, an, an entire podcast episode yeah. just dropping trow and and dumping on the entire playoff structure and, and and how how they do it, and they're trying to artificially pump up rivalries, yeah. and th- you don't need to. I think like the best teams will find the best teams in the I postseason all the there. time. Yeah. 
And it's just like, you, you know, the, the regular season has to mean something. You yeah. can't just like shove good teams against each other constantly. Yeah. Uh, and it's cyclical. The nature of the playoffs well, of is course. Cyclical. Like divisions, some you're going to have weak divisions. You're going to have For the longest time, it was that divisions. central, right? Chicago, yeah. St. Louis, oh, were, murders uh, Nashville. Row. Yeah. Murders row. Yeah. Uh, and, and to escape that Atlantic division, like you've got to be like not only incredibly good, but you have to be incredibly lucky. Yep. And he, to lose to Boston as often as Toronto has, um, <laughs> it's you tip your hat like you sure. lost to a good team. Like that's like how many like and we've, had this con- we've, we've had this conversation on the podcast before. It's like you know like how many elite teams would you say there are in the NHL this year? Like six at most. But like five of those teams, let's they're say one, all, let's say one of those teams wins the Stanley Cup. Well, five of those elite teams didn't. Yeah, does that mean they're, and three they're of them terrible live in this division? Like, does that mean they're a terrible hockey team? No, right, it's right. just that's the circuit. Like, it's incredibly difficult to win in the postseason. I, I think that's what people have to recognize. Like, you look at teams like the Vancouver Canucks, the Ottawa Senators from like the early two thousands. Yep. It's like very, very, very strong teams did not win the cup during their their the Sharks. The Sharks were yeah. elite for a very long oh. time, and it's just like. It's it's impressive that these teams were as competitive as they were for such a long time. Like they had incredibly long windows. They just never got over that hump. They're well, like, both the Capitals and the Blues. You'd have kind of gone. I think their windows closed. Right. It was yeah. just sort of at the very tail end where they managed to jump up and grab a cup before their window closed. Exactly. And now they're aging teams with you know. Yeah. It, it's just it's interesting when you think about everything that's gone into Toronto, and when you look at Dubis, right? Like in the teams that he's built, and whether or not he deserves a new contract. I certainly understand this. Watch is a- him bolt and come home to Ottawa. <laughs> he does apparently like his senators. <laughs> um, when you look at the teams that he's built, it's a win-loss business, and they haven't won. But at the same time, like last year against Tampa that goes to the cup final, they didn't get blown out in any of those. That was a f- seven-game series, flip of the coin, game seven, finished 2-1. Did they lose four one-goal games? I think it, it was some, there was some stuff. Well, like one of them game... Four, maybe they got absolutely pumped. One of the games wasn't close. Okay, but as far as the series all go, right? Like it's seven against Boston. It's seven against Boston. It's seven against Tampa. It's you're in every one of them, and at the end of the day, you could have won them, but you didn't. So it's really hard to uh, like. I personally wouldn't fire Kyle Dubas. It won't have to fire him. His contract's up at the end of the year. I wouldn't let Welcome him home, go. Kyle. Welcome home because I don't. I have very low confidence that you're bringing in somebody better, right? Like I like the things that he's done and it hasn't panned out. So I'm also sort of like, I get it. You, if you don't win, you get fired. That's what happens in sports. It's, it's complicated, man. And, oh, for sure. And Tavares weighs into that in a big way. I, I think the one thing, the one thing I will say about Toronto that it's always kind of eluded them a little bit, especially when it comes to like the draft, right? Like we're so analytics focused when it comes to Toronto and their, and their player movement yep. and, and everything else. But I think with like their amateur drafting, um, you see them get lauded every year by pundits. Like, oh, that was a that was a great draft by Toronto, given their relative like, position in the draft. Yeah. And it's like, okay, okay, where are we'll, we'll see how it is in like a couple of years, and then <laughs> a couple of years go by, and you're like, where where are these guys at Toronto drafts? Because uh, outside of Connor Brown, I haven't seen like one impactful guy come through the ranks. And I mean, like Rasmus Sandin, he, he has his moments, right? And like Lilligren Lil is settled, right? Yeah, no, they, like he, he looks he looks good now. But it's yeah. it's like they've it's had they've had a lot of picks. Yep. And they've had, you know, they, well, and, they, and they've been lauded. So it's like, well, I don't want people to take this the right way, but like, it is the most leaf thing ever for Rodian Amarov to be like the one year you keep your first round pick. And the poor kid, like he's dealing with brain cancer. Like oh, that is an sure. awful, that's, that's unfortunate circumstances. It's horrible, right? Control. To see that that's 
what happens and and obviously the kid comes first but when you're looking at Leafs draft success you're like ah, I don't know <laughs> like what do you make of that and it's the Mark Hunter years are just a total loss right yeah, like they they were terrible um, there's a couple of pieces nothing game breaking like Matthew Nyes people are reasonably high on Topi Nimala is is but you're right like overall but doesn't every organization have those of course. guys yeah of course and if you're supposed to be I'm not saying Ottawa. Yeah, I'm not saying Toronto. I said Ottawa. I'm not saying Toronto <laughs> claims it itself to be like geniuses, but I mean, you look at like the draft records of like Carolina and stuff. Like, yep. you're producing talent like deeper in the draft than most organizations. Agreed, man. Agreed. You know, they're 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 finding guys, and uh, Tampa did that to a certain degree as well. I think um, the the Tavares legacy in Toronto is complicated by the fact that the, what happened to the cap, and if over the last three four years the cap had continued to go up, even just by the like. One and a half, two million, a little more than that, that it had been going up in the years previous. And Tavares's cap hit now feels more like an eight and a half, nine million as opposed to 11. Yeah. That's, it's totally different, right? It's allowed and you to do I would, I would even go one step further because, like, obviously, Nazem Kadri was the, the, the person who, felt, who yep. got moved because of it, right? Like, yep. that was the, that was the shakeup. They're going to change the dynamic. Yeah. yeah. The Tyson Berry and, and Kerfoot. <laughs> maybe, right? Like, yeah. and they tried to diversify the roster by spreading the money out a little bit differently and it backfired. And yep. ever since they moved Kadri, they've been trying to find this. Oh, well, we need grit. So we're going to trade for Nick Felino. We're going to sign Wayne Simmons. And it's like, well, we're going to trade for. Ryan O'Reilly having the worst year yeah, of his career. Yeah, and they like or, gave up assets to yeah, do that for six they're, weeks. They're they're kind of just stretching it a little it's a, bit. It's hard, it's and, and like, so I I think unfair. I think it's okay for Leaf fans to be disappointed, obviously, with what this core has produced so far. But I think John Tavares in Toronto wears a larger percentage of the blame than what's warranted and i think it's just and are you worried now because you have like a two-year window essentially to win with the guys that are here because they're ufas because like marner marner and matthews, matthews are and up, nylander right? are both and you nylander... start talking to this summer they have one year left after this year yeah and, Marner's and got two uh, more, marner correct? and Tavares are the year after hmm. so you better make some hay and like you're staring at da- like we know already they're playing tampa in the first round again and Tampa, what the, I think they just set a franchise record for home win, consecutive home wins. So they're not getting any easier to beat either. It's and there, that has been an interesting argument in terms of like forget Tampa. What Boston has done is like historically good this year. Do you blow your brains out at the trade deadline to at best get by Tampa and be staring down that Boston team in the second round? Well, I mean, the only way to get to the cup is to beat those teams. Yeah. Though, right? yeah. Like, and if two and years, if two years is your window, I don't think you'd have a choice. <laughs> no, I'm with you, but you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> like this is, you know, um, you talk about everything being cyclical again. It couldn't be more leafy that <laughs> when the Leafs are supposed to be at their best, Boston is also refusing not just to die, but actually gets better. And Tampa, well, like it, it, it helps some guys like Bergeron taking like one million dollar contracts, yeah. right? And like we we talked about like DeBrincat's <laughs> contract moving forward, and like you know oh, how Ottawa can fit that in. And it's like, well, you know, like Claude Giroux has two years left after this. If he wants to stay in Ottawa, which I presume he would, he could probably take another similar kind of like Bergeron sure. deal to like help balance. The and at this point, and I assume Tavares is a leaf for life, but probably at a four million dollar yeah, next time, much or reduced something. contract. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. There's there's ways that they can do it and make it work and stretch it out a little bit, but it'll be interesting to see. Like I, 
eventually like Toronto has to take a shot. They have to go get. Uh, it's just funny. I, I think they have to be all in this year because Dubas has no job next year. If yeah, he exactly. Yeah, I mean, if that's his, well, exactly. So he's, he's got to do leave it on his own, or he's, he's got to take a shot. But I mean, is... like, who do you target? What do you target if you're Toronto? Do you target a defenseman? Do you target another center? Like Bo Horvat was kind Timo of linked Meyer's to them a little bit. Guy. Timo Meyer, that like, but he wants a nine million. I know. Contract well, he's owed too, a ten like, million dollar qualifying offer. He's in the so. Debrinkat boat. Yeah. Yep. So I don't even know how Toronto could make. Someone went ahead on one of these blogs and did the math that Toronto could do it, but like everything in the bottom six is gone. They yeah, are all eight fifty, eight fifty, eight fifty. I think there's smarter ways to do it. And like Timo Meyer is yes. a hell of a player. Of course, I, I just think there's. Better ways to go. If he was a pure it. rental, that would be my guy. But, but the complication of but, the contract like, next year, like Minnesota just scratched like Ryan Hartman, yep. right? Like Ryan Hartman is taking a boatload of penalties, so the Minnesota Wild scratched him and sent a message. Yep, sending a message. Awesome. I wish Ottawa would do more of it. <laughs> um, but like inexpensive, relatively inexpensive, productive player like Tyler Bertuzzi, I'd go get. Like, like there's ways to do it. Yes. I think there's more creative ways to do it than just go get the biggest name guy. And I think that's like a fault of Pierre Dorian too. Like if we're going to come back to Ottawa, it's yep. just like he is a bit of a name changer. Instead of finding like, a, un, you know, like a fish under the radar players, he's just targeting big, big name guys and hoping it works. Right. What do you still got sitting across the table there? Okay. So this is the, this is the second beer I had. Uh, I, I got two of them cause I figured we could drink it together. Okay. Uh, so this is from the Wood Brothers again, yep. half baked series. Uh, <laughs> it is a fruited Berliner Weiss. All right. So wheat beer, but it's got pineapple, guava, tangerine, marshmallow fluff and brown sugar flavors. <laughs> I'm fascinated by that description. Yeah. Hopefully it's good. We'll see what happens. There's a lot going on on the first pull. Very pineapple. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the Dominican right now. And and I didn't really know what to expect when you said marshmallow fluff. But when you take a sip, you're like, yep. The after fluffy. it's the aftertaste. It's yeah. like that little yeah. There's a little fluff to it. It's yes. the chemically marshmallow fluff <laughs> taste. Not terrible. No. I should I, I should have yeah, I should have put these in the fridge. That's all right. But Yeah, not bad. Not bad. No. I, I'm I'm fascinated. I, I'm gonna have to, you know. Maybe get in touch with you. You know what I should do? Do you invite the Wood Brothers onto the podcast? There you go. Then I don't have to go stand in line there you <laughs> at the go. farm every week. There you go. There you go. Uh, but well, I am, what you could do is order like the Brew Donkey bus tour. Yeah. Get a bunch of your like recurring guests. Yeah. And then just go. Yeah. Get the bus. Just take us to yeah. that one spot. Yeah. One hundred percent. You don't have to drive. Have you ever done one of the Brew Donkeys? No. no. I've. I missed out every time it's like my friends got one for like a birthday present or something. I've been out of town or I've just missed it. So I did one back in the fall for a friend's birthday and, uh, we went to, where'd we go? We went to Vimy first and then out to beyond the pale, I think. And then back to uh, bicycle. And it's funny cause right now, bicycle. Not very far drives for you. Like that's no, but it's like, Dominion, or excuse me, Vimy and Beyond the Pale. They might as well be right beside each other. Right. But you go and you do the far, it might have been Dominion instead of Beyond the Pale. Either way, there was like two of them that were like next door to each other. And we yeah. went to the one way out far east and then back. And we find out it's because they're trying to stop you from getting too pissed up too fast, oh, right? Yeah. Fair enough. Just to spend a little time on the bus. Fair they enough. do a nice job. Like it, it, the, they had a guide that comes with you. 
tells yeah, you about of, the breweries I've heard some like good West End ones where it's like they take it to Whitewater, they'll take it to Ashton. Yeah, yeah. Some West End ones as well where it's stretched out a little. But you're right, it's something that's not quite so crammed into just Eastern downtown. Would be, yeah, yeah, like uh, Beyond the Pale and Vimy are almost like right on top. Yeah, of exactly. Town. So, uh, shout out to the guys of Vimy, good friends of the show. Uh, good look, beer too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very nice stuff. Last week we saw uh, a weird. I don't know what you'd call it around the New York Rangers and their pride night. And this comes on the heels. We talked about it over the last couple of weeks, uh, the flyers and, uh, their pride night and, uh, Provorov refusing to wear the, the, the warm-up Jersey. So he just didn't take warm up and everything that went into that. We've talked about that to death. The Rangers, uh, they had advertised and they have done it in the past, uh, that, you know, they were going to wear their pride jerseys. They would use the pride tape and, that stuff would then be auctioned off to make money for some of these uh, LGBT organizations around the city. And at the last minute, they still have their Pride Night event and the MSG is still lit up and they're running different uh, promotions throughout the building to make people aware. Uh, the people dropping the puck are from that community and, and all of that's great. But the jerseys disappear and nobody uses the tape. And everybody immediately takes notice of this because you've put out press releases saying you're going to do it. And after the game, the organization doesn't want to comment. They said, you know, we still had our night. We still had the event and, uh, we encourage everyone to support the things they want to support. Uh, but no real explanation as to what happened or why this got canceled at the last minute. Uh, the, a couple players apparently told New York beat writers that, you know, we showed up that night expecting to wear the uniform and it wasn't there. That wasn't what was set for us in our lockers. So we carried on. And as we sit here right now, there's still no explanation. And there's been a a bunch of people speculating, did the league decide after Philadelphia, we're just not going to do this anymore because it's too controversial. Uh, Bill Daly has refuted that. Um, The players, as I said, have told a couple of beat uh, reporters, no, it wasn't us. Uh, It wasn't a locker room decision where... You know, we didn't want to be separated or people thought it was controversial. Uh, the Rangers have worn the pride jerseys in past seasons and it's never been an issue before. So the players say it wasn't them. That really only leaves somewhere further up the chain. Uh, James Dolan. Well respected James Dolan. Yeah. Oh yeah. People love James Dolan. Uh, runs the Knicks poorly uh, and largely has kept his hands off the Rangers, but uh, who knows? There is also the possibility it came from management themselves knowing at what happened in Philadelphia. We don't know anything, but it is a bad look at the moment based on what the league is coming off of. And I, I don't understand how a second organization in as many weeks could have made the exact same mistake of deciding not doing something will make the story go away like once you tell everyone you're doing it you're kind of locked in aren't you i'm just curious to know if if obviously with the ivan provorov uh circumstances of one individual player um created this massive blow up across the hockey yeah. hockey media world right um so i'm curious if it's just like you said the players i haven't paid attention to who's commenting they, on what but so, i mean if it's if it's if it's one player and this is the problem with provorov doing it and like I respect anyone's belief, you can believe whatever the hell you want. I don't care; it's none of my business. But when you when you perpetuate these beliefs 
and you say, well, this doesn't affect me. I'm not going to respect this initiative. Right. Um, there's that's going to empower more people to do the same. Yep. And, and that's the problem with it. And I, just because you believe that doesn't preclude you from criticism or being vulnerable no, to. You're entitled. You, to, like you, you can you can believe whatever I'm you in, want. I'm entitled to believe what I want and about you. I can make fun <laughs> of you for believing. Like, okay, you're you're Russian Orthodox. If that's true, maybe yeah. you're a staunch supporter and believer of the church. Cool, great. You still play games on Sunday. I could be an a- I can be an atheist and make fun of you for believing in a magical sky god. Sure. <laughs> you know, like it's true. Yeah. But like, I respect you're entitled to believe what you want, yeah. and I can believe what I want. But that doesn't mean you're not vulnerable to criticism right. or to 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 just a, a, a rational argument over what you should or shouldn't do. And I think with initiatives like this, where it's LGBTQ, it's not even like. It's not even like promoting like uh, gay marriage or anything like that. It's it's literally we're supporting this group of people who are vulnerable, who have yep. been subject to so much adversity. You're welcome here. You're and safe criti- here. Yeah, and Come that's watch the message. Hockey. Yes, and it's, it's it's about inclusion in a community where they've been underrepresented and yep. in the past. And it's just like, how do you like? You're not supporting anything. Okay, like if your belief is like, well, I don't support gay marriage. That's just my church. Okay, well, that's what you believe. Okay, but this isn't about that. No, this is just. We want everybody, like, this is just basic human dignity. The people who come pay your paycheck. It's just basic, like, is this person's a human. Do you believe that they should be, like, disenfranchised as a, as a human? They would like to have one of the same rights like, that just, you have. Do you think that's okay? Yeah, and that's all it is. It's just, like, just... And this is the other part of the argument, too. It's just, like, I, I've, you know, whenever you see these, like, tweets come up, like, the New York Rangers put, put up their posts, so I'm just, like, immediately you just scroll through the comments and yeah. stuff, and it's just, like, you can't be bothered to wear a jersey, Right for twenty minutes, right maximum. Like that's that's the bare minimum that you have to do as a player. Just put on this shirt and just put, and skate, put on do what jersey you too, and, and just everything goes away. No, you you sign a jersey and it gets auctioned off and it goes towards some initiative. Yeah, this is so it, that's the bare minimum. Like yeah. that's that's the initiative. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like that is the bare minimum. That's the bar that the NHL has set. So it's not even like you're not even asking a lot. No. And when you like, show up to work today, there and, will be a shirt hanging in the locker. Put it on, go take warm up and carry on. And that's all the NHL is doing. Yes. Which is already horrendously low. Well, that's right? what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really low. So now we have had two straight weeks of organizations having this pride night where the story has been what didn't happen. And the you're lack talking, of support. And you're talking about an organization that is fighting for a playoff spot instead of talking about the play on the ice or anything else that's positively going on within that group. You're I, talking about the stupidest thing imaginable because MSG was lit up on the outside in rainbow colors. Yep. They had people drop a ceremonial puck. Yep. But for whatever reason, the players were the players just weren't wearing jerseys. Right. And again, it I, like it, to they invite say that, it wasn't to, them. To invite that kind of criticism? Well, I mean... If there's someone like if if there is a Provorov within that group who didn't want to do it, they probably don't want to invite that kind of isolation. Where like this guy's going to become a I understand or, or whatever. It depends on who it is too, right? Like because if it is a significant player, then but but by all accounts, and these are anonymous players who have said to writers for the Athletic and the New York Post, and think what you want about the Post, I, <laughs> it's it's a whole other thing that have said this was not a sit down meeting. That the players had were like, we don't want to center anyone out. We don't want to have half of us wearing it, half of it. Not. This was, we showed up expecting to see that jersey there, and it wasn't. So this came from above somewhere, clearly. And they're going to wear it, right? Unfor- like, the group is going to wear it. 
Apparently, yeah. And the organization is the story. Wear it. And like you know, like James Dolan, uh, his reputation uh, precedes him. So yeah. like, if it was a James Dolan thing, then. But the thing that doesn't make sense to me either is like they've done it before in the past. Yep. So what? And someone has already right or wrong, and it's because it's Provorov and the Russian Orthodox Church. Someone went through and did the math on the Russian players in New York. But Panarin speaking, like he's spoken out about Putin That's and it. everything Panarin's else. Like it it isn't. Before. Panarin has got no problem so, with this. Well, Most, uh, it, it, it's just to me, it's so stupid because it's such an avoidable distraction that you just don't need. And you, you've had all this. you're all you're doing is saying we want to make hockey as accessible and inclusive as we possibly if can. If you as an organization, we just want people to come and enjoy hockey for what yes. it is. And if you're trying to grow this sport, which should be the biggest thing for, in the world right yep. now, because like hockey is. It's not on the same it's global niche, scale. Yeah. It's, it is. It's a relatively niche sport in, in North America and across the world. It's yep. a relatively regionalized sport. And if you're trying to grow the sport and, and put your best foot forward in 2023, like how are you just not doing it? it right. It's such an easy, silly thing. Just uh, You're just it, shooting yourself in the foot. It doesn't make any sense. It the whole point does of not doing this. yourself any sense. As soon as you say our organization is having a pride night, you've already pissed off the anti- gay community that you've done but good right fuck them is sort of my stance on that now you've decided we're not gonna do it like you still half had it and then pumped the brakes on the jersey thing so now you've pissed off the people that you were claiming to support as well as the people that already were alienated by your decision like you did nothing you accomplished nothing. You you've pissed off everyone and made your pride night a source of displeasure for both sides. And they're saying that, the people who dropped I, I, I can't recall who dropped the ceremonial puck, but apparently they were unaware that the team wasn't wearing their jerseys yeah. during warmups. Yeah. But imagine like how awkward that could have been if it like went otherwise. Well, and, like how many people maybe specifically bought tickets just to see themselves represented that night, right? Like as a gay Rangers fan or, or whatever that said, I, I, it's important to me to go to this game and you show up and your favorite player is now not doing this thing that you expected was going to be happening. It's just, this one is odd because no one, like when the flyers thing happened, you were like, well, it's that guy. Like we all know (laughs) that guy's the problem. This one, it's like this kind of ambiguous cloud hanging over it, and the players are going to be the ones ending up wearing it and answering questions. And if they say it's not them, though, it's going to go off the chain. Yeah, and but James uh, Dolan doesn't people, care. People have no problem blaming nope. James Dolan for anything. So. That's true. That's probably where this does land, and then just ultimately. But if they've done it, but like, that's the other thing too. It's like if they've done it before them, why, why stop? Yeah. Now? Other than the Provorov thing, it's the Provorov right? thing, and, and yeah. it's just. But maybe and that that's why this maybe that empowers people. Like you, to see me, it, it was a reasonable it, right? like, question to ask the NHL. Hey, did you guys tell teams stop doing this so that this isn't a story? And Bill Daly goes, "No, teams are still free to do exactly what they always felt like doing on for these sorts of occasions." So the league has very clearly said, "It's not us." I, I just think it's the Provorov follow. It is. Where it's like you see on Fanatics, his jersey sold out. You're just empowering oh. people to like you know like you're just empowering people that's to gross. to promote that message. That. You know, it's just that's that's what it is yeah. it's just it perpetuates this belief that okay we're empowered we can actually say and do stuff like this because it's now acceptable right and that's the unfortunate part of it uh why don't we talk a little it's gonna feel a little like maybe we're picking on the russians here uh there's been some talk here over the last couple of weeks again from thomas bach and the ioc about how do we get how do we get the russians back into the olympic games and uh, the Russian flag has not been welcome at the last several Olympics, but most of that was due to sporting stuff, right? Doping, 
um, and then covering up doping. And now they have uh, invaded Ukraine, obviously. That conflict continues to to rage on as we sit here today. And that happened just shortly after. It's funny how they always manage to, to make their uh, military strikes right after a, a World Cup or an Olympics or whatever. The first time they went into Crimea was right after they hosted the Olympic Games. Uh, this right after the Olympic Games in 2022. Look, Russia is a huge country. By all accounts, there is some sort of relationship between Thomas Bach, the head of the IOC, and Vladimir Putin. Um, and he has floated again. You know, sports should be non-political, which is always a cop-out bullshit answer. Uh, individual sports federations over the last year have had to make their own call. And at the time that Russia first invaded Ukraine uh, in 2022, the IOC had said, hey, this can't be allowed. We will kind of stand against that. And I don't know what's changed over the last 11 months for them, but now with an Olympics coming in Paris, they're sort of trying to, you know, we should find a way to ease Russia back into the Olympic Games. And I just, I can't imagine, obviously there's been Ukrainian athletes and sporting organizations that have said, you can't do that and we will not compete at the same Olympics as of Russia. And we haven't heard enough from a lot of other sporting organizations, but this is sort of where the rubber meets the road on sports versus politics. And you're going to see athletes not refuse to play them. I think so too. It'll be like, well, like they didn't participate in the world juniors, obviously, but it weren't invited. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're... Teams will just forfeit. They say we're not playing them. And is that what you want to see? And because this isn't just the Olympics, this no, is but it's qualifiers. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worldwide statement, right? As well, right? But you're so. seeing all over the world, right? Like in whatever your favorite sport is, leading up to the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris, uh, whether you're a high jumper or a water polo player, like whatever this is going to be, do you just does everyone refuse to take part in a, a swim meet that allows Russian? Swimmers, right? Like these are the sorts of questions that are going to have to be asked. And you are now asking, I think all these athletes around the world to risk their spot in protest when you could just amateur money. Yeah, of course. Funding that goes into your performance at these tournaments. Am I willing to bank on the IOC doing the right thing and just barring Russia? Or do I have to stand here and go, I'm not swimming against that guy. And now that guy goes and wins our swim meet. That's and also, he goes instead of me. It's also the cynical nature of the international competition, right? Like we see the World Cup be awarded to Qatar. Mm-hmm. And there's so much corruption and stuff in sports. It, it, Sounds it, like it Saudi is, will be next. <laughs> like it's easy to get really cynical over like who's getting funded, who's getting money to line the pockets with yeah. these decisions, right? And that's the unfortunate part about international sports right now, unfortunately. Well, and it just, but I can see it. Like I can just see teams, organizations, like whether it's the world cup qualifying or whatever, like they're just going to refuse to play Russia. And now Russia gets the wins though. Like you're banking on IOC doing the right thing. And I wouldn't place that bet. The IOC is a, I, I just have a hard time believing that they do another Olympic games where they're just going to fly under a white flag, like the, the Olympic flag. And that's, what Russian? One of the things that we don't talk enough about over here and don't fully understand, I don't think fully, is some of these sorts of regimes like Putin's Russia right now. Sports is essentially a wing of the military, like show up and show Russian dominance, right? And they call it sports washing and, and these sorts of like that they just did in uh, in Qatar that 
look how great this country is because it's hosting a World Cup. Well, look at how much flack like guys like Ovechkin are taking right? yeah. because they're not speaking out against him. Well, he's an interesting case just because he's – like I don't think Artem Zub needs to answer for what Putin is doing. I do think Ovechkin, who's got a display picture of him hanging out with Putin and – campaigning for Putin. Yeah, you probably should answer for this, man. Like, why are you still supporting that? To me, not every Russian player is a problem, but you just can't. If if Putin is going to keep painting Russian athletes as part of this superior Russia, then they don't get to compete. You're not part of this. You Because at home, it's being used as a uh, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, it's being used as rhetoric. It's being used as propaganda. And it's, I, I just think you cannot, if you, in an, in a modern society, you can't have one country occupying another and invite those guys to come, you know, play no, soccer. It's, with it's you one or, of the few punitive uh, measures that you can right. enforce over another country that's doing that. Right. Take that opportunity for them to grandstand away from them. Yep. It's. This is a, this is going to be dicey and I won't be surprised if, if the IOC decides not we're letting Russia back in, they couldn't bring themselves to fully ban them from 2016. They couldn't bring themselves to fully ban them from 2018. It's, it's the Olympic athletes of Russia instead of team Russia. You're like, that's what did that really accomplish? Right. How are you going to segue this back to like Matt Murray? That's what I'm interested in. Got more Matt Murray thoughts? No, I'm just busting your balls. I know, I know. It's busted ankle, apparently. Not busted balls. Could be both. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's a complicated time, right? This is... At least the beers are good. (laughs) It's getting deep. Yeah, well, that's the way uh, the Sunday show often goes all over the map, right? So that's what we do around here. Uh, we got a an all star game next weekend. Do you care at all? No, not no. really. No, Brady Kachuk's there. That's yeah. it. Like, I'm are you not. one of these people who's outraged that Timmy Stew is not? Uh, you can only reward so many players. It's it's a three on three tournament, yeah. right? Like, it's how do you how do you acknowledge everybody? Uh, if Austin Matthews comes out of the game and they replace him with Sasha Barkov, uh, William Nylander probably could have gotten in. Yep. Deserve candidacy. Deserve like. All the merit in the world to him and guys like Stutzel, like very good players. But I mean, like Ottawa is also the one of the worst ten teams in the league right, right. now. Like, how do you send two representatives to, for, of the Ottawa Senators? Right. That's I mean, like you could you could argue Timmy Stutzel or Stutzel uh, deserves to be there ahead of Brady. Sure. I, I would listen to that conversation. Yeah. Um, but and saying like Willie, his every, numbers are better than a lot of. But I get it. We're in Miami. If you have a chance with someone backing out to put a home guy, and not they didn't just jam some plug from no, the Florida exactly. Panthers in their park office. It's not like it's player. not like oh Robert Svela <laughs> right. is in the All Star game. I can't Robert believe Svela, that's your go to bad Panther. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he was in the All Star games representing the Panthers back. Then. Yeah, so you're it's right. Like, oh, you're right. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, back when they weren't very good, <laughs> but like it, it's also an All Star game, and like the, the shitty part is, it's like a lot of people use like um, All Star game appearances as like some. Uh, merits of, of yeah, worth no. when it comes to evaluating the Hall of Fame careers and stuff. And it's just like, wow, right he played, in, he played right in six All-Star games. It's like, wow, <laughs> awesome. Like, yeah. okay, what does that really mean? Right. Nothing in the greater scheme of things. No. One team, one team has to appear all the time. So I hate that rule too. I get it is what it is. We're trying to keep everybody interested, but it's not good. 
there's some bad all stars this year. This this year? Yeah, no. As opposed to like when Atlanta was in and it was like, what, Gusev? I think it was like Nikita Gusev was in. You're just like, oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) This is terrible. Uh, Andy Sutton, maybe. Yeah. Anything else? I can't remember what I sent you now. I think that was most of what we had on the that agenda. Was most of it. it was yeah. more, uh, what do you expect the Senators to do after the All-Star break? Yeah. And, and, but, I mean, like, we kind of got into the trade deadline. Like, I don't think Ottawa's UFAs are, are, are well, going to go. We can wrap up on that. Like, is Ottawa, look, they're too far out to be shopping. Uh, and I, but apparently seen... Dorian's giving them six weeks. So, like, you never, like, lame duck. And that's the problem with Ottawa right now. You have a lame duck general manager who's kind of managing things. I don't think he has the power to extend to Brinkat right now. I think that's why you're not hearing anything about that. Hmm. Um, yeah. They have a bunch like, of veteran like UFAs that will probably fetch like a third to fifth round pick. There's nothing like sexy about the team that they that he can actually sell. I just, I, I've got people in my mentions when I say the Sens shouldn't be shopping at the deadline. They're saying, well, if you could get somebody extended, well, like, sure, if the perfect deal ever falls in your lap, you just do it. But prices at the deadline well, the are prob- stupidly high. The prob- and that's well, why Ottawa shouldn't be shopping at I, that time. But you'd also be shopping with the worst teams in the league. So yeah. it's like, well, okay, you're going to get top four defensemen off like one of the worst teams in the league. Well, what does that mean? Right. It's like trading for like Travis Hamannick last year. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow, we traded a third round pick for a guy who could play in our top four. One waivers a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> as, as you do. Yeah. No, I, it's I just, just like, Who's going to go? You're better off waiting till the offseason. And this extends to like the Debrinkat trade market as well. Like you're better off waiting till the offseason to see what the markets develop and, and what's available because what's currently available is you're not like nobody ahead of Ottawa and Stanis is going to be trading a top four defenseman. No. No. Unless you believe like Matt, unless you believe like Matt Dumb is a top four defenseman. Well, some people do, apparently. <laughs> but he's not. No. Um, he's scratched right now. Yeah, and he's super expensive, and he's not that good anymore. Um, but so, like, like teams, teams ahead of Ottawa in the stands aren't tripping over themselves to trade Ottawa good players. Like they're gonna take their chances in the playoffs, and then you know if certain players are gonna be made available in the postseason or after the postseason, then that'll be the offseason market. Who are the UFAs on Ottawa you would expect to go? Oh, uh, maybe Talbot as a goaltender. Um, Dorian's been scouting LA. They have some goaltending issues they right sure now. Do. Because Cal Peterson's still in the minors, and yep. then they have uh, Phoenix Copley running their Phoenix show Copley, right now. Phoenix Copley and Jonathan Quick, and yeah. Jonathan Quick's terrible. Yeah, I sub nine hundred. I think both of them are sub nine hundred. I think this is the final year of that LA Kings tweet. So yeah. That's ten <laughs> oh, years. Our goal is yeah. better than yours. Maybe like Nick Holden. I could see Nick Holden helping a team. Like he's pretty Tyler solid Mott, unrestricted. Tyler Mott could that's help a playoff team in the type guy. Six, you yeah. think? Yeah. Aside from that, I think it's like Hamannick, Watson, Broussard. Broussard's actually been decent this yeah. year. Uh, he can help a team maybe in like a fourth, third, fourth line role. He can play center and yeah, wing. Yeah, a little experience, a little He depth. can score. He can chip in, play defensively. He's not bad. Um, but right. again, like all these guys are going to return like third to fifth round picks. Like yeah. It's nothing like groundbreaking. Maybe Talbot gets you more because he's cool. I have no idea. Depends on how desperate LA is, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> but I don't think many teams are like clamoring for goaltenders at this time of year anyway. So. No, if you have bad goaltending, you're probably not in position to make the playoffs. And yeah, you're probably just happy to be there in the first place, right? Right. So, um, yeah, it remains to be seen. But I think like the Debrinkat thing is the thing that's kind of overhanging the club for the rest of the year. And that's you know everyone's kind of waiting for the shoe What's to drop gut? with ownership. They get it done. They're gonna. I, th- I gonna think he would around? stay. Yeah. I, like I just don't like unless he wants to go to Detroit or something like closer to home. He's yeah. from Michigan, right? So, right. Um, unless she winds up there, I, I just don't see where there's a good fit for a guy like that right 
you know, there's a good young core that supports him. He's got good centers coming up who are all young. Like, there's a good group to build with. And, you know, he's 20. I think he just turned 25. So um, is there a better spot to be guaranteed over the next five years with a young group on the upswing? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unless you're rolling the dice on Detroit or a Buffalo or – I just – Buffalo maybe. Maybe. To me, more than Detroit. But I mean, like, they're, I mean, one of these teams that acquires them is going to have to trade something again. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, I just, you're not giving away for free. So it, it, it really depends. Buffalo's on the, uh, I like what Buffalo's done compared to Detroit. I, I think they're on the upswing. And if they could get a goalie next year, Similar, similar in some respects, though. It's like they both have two good young defensemen, like building block defensemen to build around. Like Buffalo's I got will. Power and Dahlien, and then mm-hmm. Detroit's got Evidson and uh, Cider. I'll like, take Buffalo's all day. Oh, all like day. That. Very good. And then Tage Thompson's Thompson development. Thompson fell out like of a tree and yeah. is suddenly a 50-goal scorer. It's funny because like, you were writing off the Ryan O'Reilly deal for like the longest time. Yeah, so, yeah. Wow, Buffalo got nothing Got just fleeced. And then, yeah, Tate Thompson. No, apparently mid-20s. Hell of a year. Six foot ten, 50-goal scoring center. <laughs> so like, with hands. I He's could, got I good mitts. Stand to have that good guy. mitts and <laughs> a hell of a shot. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. But it's good. Like, it's nice. Like the, Growing up, it's like when Buffalo was good, the Senators were good, and you build those rivalries. Yep. It's good to see like teams like them in Detroit and Montreal and Toronto. Uh, it, like Playing meaningful hockey against those teams is like – they, that's that's the best. Like it, and those rivalries developed without this shitty new playoff format no, that we talked exactly. about earlier. It's it just all, it happens because you're good at the same time, yeah, and the exactly. geography helps. And that's one of the things if you want to develop these. And the fans are dicks. And, yeah, yeah, almost certainly. <laughs> and, and, um, that, and that's how it goes. The divisional rivalry thing. Like I don't know. Are you ever going to feel like like for us? We're clearly going to play Tampa again this year. And both fan bases are probably like, ah, oh, Christ. And there you know, is like, that's there is what that. it is. It's just like, uh. But like, also, is it ever going to feel like ooh, Toronto, Tampa Bay? Like, that's, I get Toronto, Buffalo, Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, even Toronto. No, it's purely geographical and it's right. like the proximity of the other fan bases. That, that's a huge part of it. And so you have this weird divisional split where like eight teams between us and them make up a division and then we'll just lob Florida into Northeast United States and Canada. It, Oh, it's weird. It's just strange. It's super weird. At the way it's all split. So yeah. I, it's just the NHL doing weird things. And know? that's what they do. And they can't stick with anything for a long period of time. That's like their thing. It's like, oh, it's been four years. Okay, we're going to switch it up and make yeah. something new. Yeah. It's like, well, why can't you just stick with something for a while and let it build and see how it is? And then now we're going to switch it. We're going to yeah. change it up again. That's, uh, that's it's Gary's NHL. It's like the draft lottery and everything. It's oh, like everything God. changes all the time. And it's like they just can't. Did you hear nobody tanks? <laughs> That's a relief. <laughs> Everybody loves the digital ad boards, too. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, before we wind things down then, man, uh, are you an NFL guy? Will you be watching this afternoon? Uh, I'm an Eagles guy. Okay. Grew up an Eagles guy. So um, what's the Super Bowl going to be? What are the What's the matchup? Uh, I think Eagles-Cincinnati. I think you're right, man. I, I don't know. San Francisco is very good, though. I so know, and I and I like the Chiefs yeah, too. But if Mahomes isn't healthy, and, yeah, Mahomes is hurt too. So I, I think uh, that's kind of boring for our uh, listeners that you and I agree, but they'll all get to laugh at us Monday morning when this is all said. Oh, potentially, yeah, event. for sure. So if, uh, if I feel want. bad for Bills fans, that's like, I don't <laughs> screw Bills fans. <laughs> you know what my thing is? I've talked about it on the show before. I grew up down in the greater Toronto area where you were force fed the Bills as like your home team. Yeah, because they were on Global every Sunday. Yeah. That was it, man. And I was just always, if I get that they're the closest team to us, but when there's an international border involved, I'm out. Like, you don't get to convince me that's my hometown team. And so fuck the Bills was always sort of my, now I'm no longer 
Fuck the Bills. So how do you become a Leafs fan? I'm just but there's no I'm border, just, man. I'm there's no joking. border. <laughs> but you grew up in Toronto, yeah. so it makes sense. Yeah, not for sure. You were uh, just kind of downloaded I mean, into you at birth. That oh, that's yeah, yeah. Here. But I went through, I've never had a, I've never been a hardcore NFL fan. My favorite player was Peyton Manning. So for a while I was a Colts fan and then I was a Broncos fan and then I was just not a fan and whatever else went on there, right? See, I'm finding this weird dynamic and it's not just football. It's like across every sport. It's, just, it's, it's I cheer less for teams and I'm I becoming know. more, yeah. I'm cheering individuals. Yes. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And it's like, especially with baseball um, and hockey actually to a certain extent. I just like, I like cheering for certain players. I don't really care about the teams that much. It's so just, which players would be cheering for in the baseball season, which we're only two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Oh, uh, like I've always been a Verlander fan. Yeah, okay. Um, but like my sister wants to school in Michigan, so like when Michigan like when Detroit was in their heyday, yeah. uh he was there and then he Burley followed and along. Like, and, uh, the like I grew good. up as I grew up as a Jays fan, but yeah. like you I I just enjoy exciting young ball players like yeah. Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, just like five tool guys. Like the Ken Griffey, I mean like you grew up yeah. in the 90s so, so like Ken Griffey sure. Jr was huge and yep. like that's that was like the pinnacle of like that guy is a superstar. Well, even at the time, McGuire and Sosa, right? And that right. drew everybody back into baseball. Yeah. And yeah, I wasn't really a Cards or a Cubs fan, but like you kept an eye on that in. because of those guys. Yeah. So yeah, those guys were huge. Um, I hated the Braves. I hated the pitching. I hated Maddox because the strike zone was like so exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I followed, and again, it was a Jays thing. But like, I never cheered any less for Roy Holiday when he went to Philly. Like I still no right exactly. Like yeah, yeah, it's just. Oh man, tragic! Uh, that's tragic how that ended awful, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Halliday was one of the one of the all time greats. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of other guys. Like I like I love watching like young enthusiastic guys like Acuna. I like yep. watching uh, Bryce Harper, Tatis Junior. Like I, I'm in, I'm excited to watch the Padres this year. Are I, you? Why? I just I feel like they're. F- they're gonna one of these years. No, that one of these no. years, it's gonna happen. No, right. <laughs> no See, way. like AJ, AJ Preller is just like a name chaser. Like he's not finding good fits. He's just signing the best name available. Well, like Xander you, Bogarts is a crappy shortstop. I defensive. agree with that. But like, they're gonna terrible, hit terrible shortstop. Soto and Tatis back in there. They're gonna hit like mad man. Yeah, but like they can't play defense. Like they well, the f- you're taking like. Hey, but the Phillies just showed you that doesn't matter. Their best shortstop. The it Phillies is, were in the NL this year and him decided and he's not even like they're no, considering right. trading. Right. I mean, like but, they, it's like we're just going to put Bogarts in because he's a shortstop for the next year, and then he's probably going to have to go to second base or third base. Oh, we have Machado and we have Cronenworth uh, <laughs> there. It's like it doesn't. But we came into this year looking at that Phillies team, going they're going to be an all-time bad defensive team, and they made it all the way to the fucking World Series. Good so pitching though, yeah, I, I I'm I'm intrigued by the Padres. Good pitching, man. they got hot at the right time. I like that they're a small market who's pushing and going for it. Like we're well, it's exciting. We're yeah, you're right. Like to a certain extent, I it's want that to, to work. Teams spend and work, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, you watch teams like I. There was a time there where I used to like Pittsburgh because I was like the analytical, <laughs> like a yeah. small market analytical team that was sure. a success with like Russell Martin, Starling Marte, Andrew McCutcheon, <laughs> Garrett Cole, and like right. Francisco Liriano and stuff. And they were having success. You're like, oh, that's Liriano, a yeah. that's a really good story. And then it's just like you know, like the market inefficiencies that they targeted yeah. uh, went by the wayside. They're right. still investing in those inefficiencies, and like they got leaped. By the rest of the league, who changed? <laughs> like they all changed their strategies, and Pittsburgh was still doing the same thing. And they suffered for it for years. And it's true. They're, they're still they're suffering, they're still for, suffering it. for it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. 
Yeah, it's two weeks from away, man, as we sit here in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Yeah, pitchers and catchers, of course, soon. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm Especially excited, for, I'm excited for the Blue Jays Classic. Scene. Yeah. Well, I don't even I know. pay attention to I know. But, it's uh, like, that's the other part of hockey that drives me nuts, too. Like, we're talking about, like, international competitions. It's like, how old is Connor McDavid right now? 27, 28? Yeah. Has never represented Canada nope. on the international market. That's where that sweet juniors. NWO jersey at the the uh, it's like yeah it's like uh, yeah okay he's on the team young stars awesome awesome which was a fun that was was a fun team to cheer for right like him and mckinnon and some other ones um but like was he on it as well yeah other ones but it's like (laughs) no i'm with you that was not a real world but that's like gary bettman's world is like we're not going to promote this stuff internationally it's like why because you're not getting a bit of cut of the pie it's like well you can grow the game and get your money in, like you know, like it, the money doesn't have to come directly. Like, no, it's a failing that they have. Ah, sure. uh, it's just a major oversight. But uh, I, we yeah, talked like, to Stoughton last week when he was on the podcast about the World Baseball Classic and how doing it in the spring limits you. Right, you don't get to feel like this is really spa- uh, special if you're starting pitchers on a 45 pitch, pitch count. count. Yeah, oh, for sure, uh, it, yeah. it, it hurts it, but doesn't mean I won't watch it. It won't be more interesting than a lot of sports. You know, I think they ran it like simultaneously with like the World Series because then you're not, yeah. you know, like but at you're least competing. Like teams are finishing their season. They have an opportunity to keep going. And Well, what Stoughton suggested and I, I kind of liked was do we have to do to run the first round or two in the spring and then the semifinals and the finals happen during All-Star Week. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's ramped up, no pitch limits, no pitch counts, all these sorts of things. Uh, and wherever your all-star game is, is where the semis and the finals of the World Baseball Classic get played. Could yeah. be. It could be difficult with Japan and stuff, right? Or Korea. Yeah, because they're in the middle of their seasons. You're right about that. But it, it it's yeah, an idea. I don't hate it. At least for the players in North America. Do something in November. or I, I think the all-star break has the best chance to succeed. But, but I mean, only so many teams make the postseason, so you can do it like that too. Yeah. It, but then it just looks like the World Hockey Championships, right? Where the best players are still playing for their major league teams. And, yeah, that's true. To a certain extent, it's hard. Not Mike Trout. No, probably not Mike Trout. Otani will be around. He'll like be, there's, yeah. there's tons, <laughs> there'll there's be guys. tons of exceptional players who don't play on good teams. Uh, Roman a day. It's gnichols.substack.com. Yeah. Exactly. We're on social media at Tall Can Audio. He's on social media at Graham Nichols. G R A E M E N I C H O L S. I'm glad you finally made it in here, man. Ah, uh, glad to be here. Sorry it's taken so long. It's uh, it's, <laughs> Life it's hard. Happens, I got man. like two young kids at home under the age of three. They don't always so cooperate. Just, uh, kids, uh, kids have their nobody own cooperates. <laughs> Wife's not that enthusiastic about people leaving the house for long periods of time. So it's just uh, <laughs> it's well, we appreciate hard. It's, her it's sacrifice today as well. The struggle is real. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> I'm glad you came in. Thank you for doing this. No, pleasure to be here, Matt. Really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, Rob will be back on uh, Wednesday morning. We got uh, Josh O'Connor on Thursday morning from uh, behind the R with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, should be a good week around the podcast. Hope you all have a good week as well. For Graham Nichols, my name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you all next time. Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at tallcanaudio.com or by searching Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app.